Welcome to the Relationship Help Show, your time with Dr. Roberta Shaler, the Relationship Help Doctor. Through the magic of the Internet, Dr. Shaler provides urgent and ongoing care for relationships in crisis to people throughout the world, and she's here for you now. Whether you are experiencing a momentary blow-up or the crazy-making of life with a partner, ex, child, or parent who is relentlessly difficult, you'll get your questions answered and enjoy her expert guests. Settle in with Dr. Roberta Shaler now. Leave the drama behind and find peace of mind on today's Relationship Help Show. Here's Dr. Shaler. Welcome. If this is your first time joining us, a special welcome because you found a safe place to get the insights and the information you need to shift your life in the direction you want it to go and to find the keys to creating really great relationships with your friends and with your partner or with your parent. We all need to learn these things. We often didn't learn them early in life and we can learn them now. So I'm so glad you're here if it's your first time. And if you're joining us as a regular guest, then I'm so glad that you're finding value in the program. And you'll remember another guest that we had just a few weeks ago, Laura Rubenstein, and we talked a little bit about compassion. And our guest later on today's show is Laura Jack, who wrote The Compassion Code. So we're going to have an interesting conversation. And before Laura joins us, I want to talk to you about a few things, and in particular about what is this whole thing about being nice. Your mother told you to be nice, right? Your father told you to be nice. Your teacher told you to be nice. And uh, what does it mean to you? People told you to play nicely. What did that mean to you? And did it mean to be kind? Did it mean to be honest? Did it mean to sugarcoat your feelings? Did it mean not to make anybody uncomfortable or not to make anybody upset or angry? What did it really mean to you and what effect has it had on your whole life? If you were told to be nice or play nicely, it got in there. It got in deep into your being because when you were a little person, your brain development was just beginning and you didn't have language that really was understand you understanding you you were just parroting what somebody said to you and you kind of had a feeling about what it meant and you were sure to learn as you went along but have you ever stopped and reflected on what did it mean when someone told you to be nice or play nicely we have a couple of old phrases in our language like don't upset the apple cart that's another way of saying be nice or don't spill the beans. That means, you know, I'm telling you something in secret and don't tell anybody else. So in other words, we may have been told not to upset anybody else. Now, if you do that and that sounds right to you, we really need to talk because if your life is not all about not upsetting others, then what do you do when you need to be honest and truthful and you want to talk about your feelings? You'll be a little hard-pressed to do that if you always have to be nice. 
So I really wanted to get into this this morning with you because it really is a good thing to examine. Did your mom or dad or some other significant adult in your life teach you to talk about things in ways that are both kind and honest at the same time? Now, that's really important to learn how to be kind and honest at the same time. But many of us didn't learn that at home. I, I know I certainly didn't. My mother was a hijackal, and you know I talk about hijackals a lot. And, of course, everything was her way or the highway. She was always right. She was always the arbiter of truth. And everything had to go her way, and I was supposed to follow suit. I wasn't really good at that. So I had kind of a tumultuous childhood because I did not see things her way, and I wasn't really inclined to either. And so that that was difficult. It was very difficult. But many of us didn't learn at home, as I didn't, to be kind and honest at the same time. In fact, we may think that those things are things that don't go together very well at all, because if I want to say what's honest for me, it may sound unkind to the other person. And that's where you have to get better skills. That's where you have the opportunity of learning and growing and learn to be kind and honest at the same time. It's quite possible to do. Now, when you learn to do that, don't think that it comes with a guarantee because it doesn't. You are, you can be kind and honest and be in as much integrity with your vision, values, and beliefs and purpose as you possibly can. That doesn't mean the other person is going to take it well or like it. It just means you've done the best that you can to put your feelings or thoughts forward in a way that will engender a conversation rather than an explosion. So no guarantees, but you are the only person who can do your life. And if you're doing it to keep other people happy or to keep other people from not being upset, you may have taken this be nice rule to the wrong conclusion and you're feeling pretty downtrodden. And that's what happens. So it's my goal when I'm working with people to help them learn to be both kind and honest at the same time. Whether or not the other person explodes or the other person does, in fact, have a great conversation with you and hears you well is something that's beyond your control. You can't do anything about that. You're not in charge of the other person. You're in charge of your delivery, doing it the best way you can that represents you in the best way possible. But what that other person does about it, not your circus, not your monkeys, as they say. You can't control the other person. But then you need skills to manage any conflict that might come after that. There's a good chance the other person will be able to hear and accept it when it's delivered well. But there are no guarantees. And you are the only one in control of you. Because you can't control that other person or that other person's thoughts or feelings or needs or wants, You need skills to be ready to respond to whatever they come back at you with. It's easy for some folks to get angry. You've noticed that, right? You say something and you think it is kind and honest and simple and clear. 
and they go off like a Roman candle. Many times those people are hijackers. Those people cannot imagine that anybody would have a differing opinion from them, and they don't want them to have that either. So that can happen. And it's easy for some folks to feel hurt when you tell your truth. That's not your problem either. You're not hurting them. If you have consciously decided how to deliver up something by being kind and honest at the same time, and they are hurt by that, that's about them. It's not about you. Can you get that? It's about them. It's their life. It's their experiences. It's what happened in their childhood. It's what's happened in previous relationships to them that causes them to respond in a particular way. But it's not up to you. What's up to you is to do the very best you can to communicate. So I I decided it would be fun to look up the definition of nice just for our conversation today. And it's very simple. The definition of nice is to be pleasant and agreeable. Wow. At that moment, I thought, no wonder everybody tells you to do that because it's the most convenient thing. If you're always pleasant and agreeable, then you'll go along with what everybody else wants. You're not going to like that very much, are you? If you're constantly going around with what everybody else wants, you are growing a river of resentment underneath everything that you do. Because we're just not here to go along with what everybody else wants. And no matter who tells you that that's a good idea, whether it's your mother or father or the school or the church, it's not so. Because if everybody just went along with what everybody else wanted, we would all live in dictatorships very soon. We, whether that's a, a dictatorship with a small D or a capital D, there would be other people always deciding who we are and how we are because we're just there to go along with them, to be pleasant and agreeable. So my answer to why is everybody telling you to be nice and is it always the best thing to be nice is no, it is not always the best thing. If you were always nice to everybody, always pleasant and agreeable, it would make turn you into a people-pleasing pretzel. You would just conform to what everybody else wanted. You would push down any feelings that you had, any hurts or pains or strong convictions that you had, and you would just be what other people want you to be. And there are a lot of people who would really like you to just be what they want you to be, right? But that's not a great way to live your life. You're certainly not going to be satisfied. You're not going to feel like you have a voice. You're constantly going to be watching out for the signs and signals of what other people want. And you'll turn into an accommodator. And if not that, you will turn into a downtrodden doormat. So what are the choices? People-pleasing pretzel or downtrodden doormat? Neither one of them sound terribly appealing, do they? I don't think you want to be either one of those. But if you're always trying to be nice, that's what's going to happen. So that's all about other people. Being nice is all about other people. For you, you want to be in integrity. You want to be behaving from what is most important to you and speaking from what is most important to you. That's where you'll find integrity. And when you find yourself disempowered and unable to speak up, that's when you know you need some help. 
because somewhere in your deep, dark, distant past, you've been downtrodden. And you don't feel as though you have a voice or that you have the right to have a voice. And I'm here to tell you that you do. You absolutely do. You deserve to take up space and draw breath and say what's so for you. I just want everybody to do it in the most kind and honest ways they possibly can. Because I don't want you to lose yourself in a relationship. That's not a good idea. You want to be an equal, reciprocal, and mutual partner in any relationship. That means both people are important. That means both people need to be able to be safe to speak up. Because you have the absolute right to say what you think, to say what you feel, to say what you need, and to say what you want. You have that right. What we don't have the right to do is to be blaming or shaming or manipulative when we are talking about those things. That's why I wrote about it so extensively in my book, Kaizen for Couples. Whether you're in a couple or not, doesn't matter. The skills for having great relationships are in that book. Kaizen for Couples, K-A-I-Z-E-N for Couples. It's available on Amazon. You can order the hard copy or you can order it for your Kindle or digital device. So the personal weather report is your right. It is, I'm talking just about me. I'm giving a personal weather report about what's going on within me so that you can know that. It never says the word you. It never talks about another person. It simply says, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's what I need and what I want. And as long as you are kind and honest in delivering a personal weather report and you're speaking in a clear, assertive, non-aggressive way, you absolutely have that right. And if somebody doesn't believe that you have that right and they don't want you to have that right, that's a good sign that it's time to move away from that person. Because there never will be any mutuality. And when there's no mutuality, you feel awful. And you begin to build that river of resentment that runs underneath everything. And it will either drown you or it will take you far, far away from the relationship emotionally, even if you stay there physically. So when you are kind and honest and you do speak in clear, direct ways, assertive ways, not aggressive ways. Now, just a note, when you don't have good communication skills and you can't count on them, sometimes when you get really hurt or angry, you tend to speak in ways that are aggressive. You kind of blurt things out. And that's because of your skill level, not because you don't have a right to talk about those things. Now, remember, you can call in if this is ringing uh, your chimes. Call in if you have a question at 888-627-6008. I'd love to answer your questions, but I can only do that live. So if you listen to any archive show and you say to yourself, wow, I wish I got in there and asked a question, go put it on your calendar for next Wednesday at 11 o'clock Pacific time and, and write down the phone number right on your calendar. 888-627-6008, and you'll remember to give us a call. So what the other person does with your communication is completely beyond your control. 
that person will show up as they are. That person will show up with what they've learned. But what do you do when you have a person who's mean and manipulative? What's the social obligation there? Is it to be nice? Well, that wouldn't work very well, would it? But many of us put up with it for a really long time. And those are the hijackles I talk about. So if you're wondering if you're with a hijackle, go and get my free ebook, How to Spot a Hijackle, at hijackles.com. H I J A C K A L S.com. Because you really need to know if you're with one. You don't owe any mean and manipulative people being nice, that won't help them. And if you are a downtrodden doormat, you will think that if you're just kinder, more patient, nicer, that person will change. They won't. That's why you need to read How to Spot a Hijackle at hijackles.com. And here's a little other thing. In my groups on Facebook, people will often write and say, well, I'm just going to give them a piece, uh, give them back a taste of their own medicine. And I always say, why would you do that? Is that who you are? Are you that kind of person? Are you mean and manipulative? Are you demanding and controlling? Why would you want to give them a taste of their own medicine? Be you. Don't sacrifice your integrity to try and show them up. It won't work. And it's really important to recognize that you need to be you in all circumstances because this is where the rubber meets the road. Who are you? What are your values, your vision, your beliefs, and your purpose? And how are you demonstrating that every day? That's what you need to do to express who you are, regardless of who someone else is. So again, back about being nice. Absolutely. Be nice and agreeable when it's okay to be that. Maybe even give somebody the first time the benefit of the doubt, and be nice and agreeable to learn more about who and how they are. But remember, you always need to speak up and be kind and honest. And don't think being nice will do it for you in all circumstances. Many times you have to reinforce your boundaries with non-negotiable statements. And that's your task to do. And there is no other way. Many people don't believe you deserve to have boundaries. You've probably met them. When you express a boundary, they say, how dare you? Whether they say that in words or behavior, but they say that to you. They want you to do things their way, and that's the only way they're interested in. And when it's not, you may have to not be nice. So you have to be kind and honest, direct and clear, and say what's so for you. And if you want more information on boundaries, Go to my blog this week at forrelationshiphelp.com slash blog, and it's about boundaries. So we've got exciting things coming up right after the break. My guest, Laura Jack, will be here, and we will be right back after this announcement. Hello, this is Dr. Roberta Shaler. Are these stories and questions on today's show sounding familiar to you? Are you ready to say no more to the abuse from toxic people in your life? I'm so glad. You matter and you deserve to have real love, true love in your life. Love from yourself and love from others. Not that demeaning, discounting, and dismissive masquerade that a hijackle pretends is love. 
I can help you regain yourself, your self-esteem, your self-confidence after a life with a hijackal, whether it was your partner, an ex, a parent, or a child. Let's work together now. For individual sessions or small group coaching, visit forrelationshiphelp.com slash join. Talk soon. Wow, I'm really looking forward to this conversation with Laura Jack. She's written a great book called The Compassion Code, How to Say the Right Thing When the Wrong Thing Happens. Now, doesn't that just fit with the conversation before the break on whether you always have to be nice? Of course it does. So welcome to the program, Laura. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. Yes, I'm glad you're here too. Let me tell everybody a little bit about you. I'm going to read it right from your bio. It says, as a certified grief recovery specialist, a life coach, and compassionate communication expert, Laura Jack supports people through the challenging moments of life and guides others to do the same. And let me remind you of her book, The Compassion Code, How to Say the Right Thing When the Wrong Thing Happens. So you fit right into the being nice conversation. What would you have to say about whether or not you always need to be nice, Laura? I think you have to be honest. <laughs> I don't know if being, I think being nice, I grew up in the South personally. So for me, there's a lot of sometimes inauthentic conversations that happen when you're just being nice. Um, I didn't hear what you had to say about it, but I, I think that it's important to be really honest and, and kind. Um, I think there's a difference between kind and nice, though, personally. So just because sometimes niceness can come off as inauthentic. So I don't know if that helps. I mean, that's just my back, my come from. So Right. Well, exactly. I mean, I just told everybody for 20 minutes that they need to be kind and honest at the same time. So you just, <laughs> you just hit that nail again. So, so that's great. And I think it does have a lot to do with our upbringing. You know, I'm from Canada and people always say that Canadians are always polite. So we do tend to be uh, polite to a fault, you know, we'll apologize for things we didn't do just to make somebody else comfortable. But that's that, those are cultural things, like you say, in the South, where you put on a good face and you're as amenable and sweet as you can be. And uh, the definition of nice in the dictionary is to be pleasant and agreeable. So, you know, we're taught to be nice. And then it's a good thing to examine that a little later in life and say, as you said, is being nice being inauthentic? Because that's not where we want to go. That's not using our life for what it's for. So talk a little bit about what it would mean to be authentic then in your communication. I think it's about being able to honor your own feelings and boundaries while still having loving kindness for the other person. So for me, I'm always trying to give the other person the benefit of the doubt, but not to my own detriment. So I can't, I don't want to hurt myself in exchange for a good communication. So I'm not going to, so one of the things that I've been working on getting over for the last, you know, 20 years is people pleasing. And I think that people pleasing has this inauthentic notion to it where the person who's people pleasing 
even if the other person hasn't asked for that, walks away feeling more drained and feeling more disconnected because they weren't really honest with themselves. And so that's been something that I work on for myself, but also with my clients is how do you really speak up for yourself, but in a loving, kind, compassionate way that serves both parties? Yeah, it's a really big deal. And I was talking about being a people-pleasing pretzel earlier. <laughs> and that, <laughs> that's pretty much what happens. Because if you try to accommodate everybody and at all times, there's no you in it anymore. Exactly. I have a whole chapter in my book called Redefining Selfish. Why it's important that we actually listen and look at ourselves first before we consider what the other person needs. And that, you know, comes back to that old analogy of put your oxygen mask on first. Cause what can, what can we actually do for somebody else when we aren't taken care of? I mean, really we're leading to burnout and drain and typically not being in a good relationship with somebody because we might serve them in the initial, but then in the long term, that's not serving either party. Well, and you bring up a good point. There are times when we want to be sure that we're taking care of somebody else when they're really at a deficit and they really need us to be going in their direction a little more than maybe we're usually comfortable with. But we really have to be able to calibrate when to do that. So your book, The Compassion Code, uh, how do you how do you have compassion for somebody who's maybe constantly upsetting you or seems to make a life work of sticking needles in you. What do you do then? So, you know, it's interesting because sometimes those relationships are relationships that we can't get out of. Maybe it's a parent-child relationship or a spouse relationship that, or a child, you know, you're the parent and you have a child. And so, because sometimes I'll say, you know, if it's not a healthy relationship, why are you still in it? You know, why are you still having communications with this friend or this coworker who constantly depletes you and doesn't really care about your well-being? That's a conversation I have a lot. But then there's sometimes there are those relationships that we really, you know, there's in coaching, we call them suffering obligations of love. So <laughs> it's like, we have these love relationships, whether it's our parents, our children, our spouses, our partners, whatever, where we really have to figure out a way to make it work. So how do you have compassion for somebody who just overly exhausts you or puts pin, puts, I liked your phrase. What did you say? Puts needles in you like a, like the doll. Yeah. Uh, and I think part of it is letting go of the outcome. Cause I think a lot of times what we do when we're dealing with people who have that much power over us per se is we try to fix it constantly. We're constantly trying to make it work. We're constantly trying to improve. And sometimes it's just about letting go of the outcome and recognizing that that's who they are. And my choice, the only part that I get to play in that is loving them where they are and letting go of what I want, how I want them to be. And so, so, and that shifts the whole dynamic of the relationship just by me shifting how I respond to them. I think when you're dealing with some somewhat emotionally healthy people, that can work. I think that's great right. stuff. But many times you're with somebody who isn't emotionally healthy. 
And that might be your parent, or it might be your teen, or it might be somebody at work, or it might be your partner. And yet you are trying to be this wonderful person living an authentic life and, and being kind and compassionate and honest and, and all of these things. And you have patience and you have this compassion and you overextend yourself continuously, hoping that that will somehow change the relationship. And I, I would really question whether or not you could ever release the outcome of that because it's so detrimental to you and the children. So what's your response to that? I really think the, that's like a huge boundary issue. It sounds like that idea of overextension, that's still you putting too much forward, you trying to fix, you trying to overextend yourself. And ultimately, again, it comes back to okay, where do I end and this other person begins? Because it kind of starting to sound like a codependency type of relationship. It doesn't sound, like you said, it's not a healthy relationship. And so I think in that case, it's really about putting down healthy boundaries. I have an example that just is coming to my mind, which is, and this isn't necessarily maybe to the unhealthy extent, but it's the first thing that came up for me is I used to have this idea that I needed to, improve my husband's health. Right? I want him to be around for my whole life. Like I want him to eat well. I want him to exercise. I want him to not drink too much. And, you know, I was, I turned into somewhat of a nag. I was constantly overextending myself to what I thought was his benefit. You know, like, I want you to do this. Like, are you sure you should drink that extra drink? Are you like, you know, I know that these things aren't healthy for you. So I was like, I was loving him so much that it was actually causing harm in our relationship because he was growing resentful of me, mm -hmm. right? And so finally, I just thought, you know, like, again, it was a choice, but I said, this isn't serving me to do this. One, I hated who I was becoming. I don't like nagging. Who likes nagging? It's not like a fun thing to do, right? And so I finally just thought, you know, I'm not going to, like, on Saturday morning, if he's hungover, I'm going to go to yoga. I'm not going to sit around and wait for him to like have fun with me because that's what I wanted. I'm going to go do what I want for me. I'm going to take care of myself. And if he wants to join me or, you know, whatever, that's fine, but I'm not going to sit around and wait. Mm -hmm. And that whatever happened, like that shift within myself changed him. He was like, man, you always do such fun things that on Saturday mornings, you know, like I was like, yeah, I, I want to get out and enjoy my day. I only have like this one really full day off where I'm not thinking about work or thinking about this. So I'm going to take advantage of it. And so what did that do? Like eventually it meant he drank less on Friday night because he wanted to come do something fun with me on Saturday morning. And he started shifting his eating habits because he's like, God, I feel gross. Like, oh, like shocking, but you know, like I've been telling you that for years, but you can't really go into that because that's no longer serving. Right. So anyway, that's maybe it's kind of comes from like being in a codependent relationship with him for quite some time where I felt like everything was like so intertwined or enmeshed. Right. To the point where I was just like, well, I need to take care of myself. And if I'm taking care of myself, maybe I will care less about what's, you know, and it's not that I don't still want him to be healthy and all that stuff, but it just, I want it to be to both of our benefits. 
Good point, because how I would put that, when you get to the nagging part, I, I have a little more positive way that we can remind ourselves not to do it, which mm. is don't parent your partner. Yeah. You know, when you get into parenting your partner, you get into an up-down relationship, and it's not good, and it builds, just as you say, it builds resentment. Mm -hmm. And you, you became uncomfortable having to be the person who was taking responsibility to be the responsible person, and yet he was feeling like you were parenting him in all likelihood, and he wanted you off his back so that he could make good decisions for himself. So you did a really wise thing, in my opinion. You modeled the behaviors that were appropriate for you, and he cared enough to notice. And that's really important. And that's really good for all our listeners to consider. Uh, are you parenting your partner? I was working with a fellow yesterday. Um, sometimes when I'm working with a couple, I'll see the people individually. And we were going over word for word what he had said in a, an argument that they had. And no, every single thing that came out of his mouth was a parenting remark. And when I said to him, would you like me to say those things to you? How would it feel? And he didn't like it. And I said, it feels like parenting, doesn't it? And it was a big light bulb moment for him to realize that the responsibility for parenting, just as you said so wisely, it's not our responsibility to parent our partner. Yeah. And it's not compassionate either. And we get that little muddled because as you were saying at the beginning, um, your compassionate side wanted the best for him. And mm -hmm. so it got muddy because in wanting the best for him, it became telling him what to do and trying to almost game and shame him into doing better. And all that did was put a rift in your relationship. So it doesn't end up being compassionate at all, does it? No. And it's also assuming that I know best, which is another assumption and judgment. <laughs> yeah. And a big one, too. Because if we don't realize, you know, let me put it this way. I don't think, Laura, that there's anything more exciting. And I could be wrong, but basically I don't think there's anything more exciting and enriching in life than to actually be consciously involved in your main relationship. To actually be learning from mm -hmm. it and growing and enriching it and, and spending time with it and spending time with the person in ways that allow you to go deeper and deeper. That journey, I think, is the most exciting journey. And it doesn't it, it, it's just available to you if you're in relationship. But for many people, they mistake codependency with compassion. So what do you do if you constantly feel put down by somebody and you want to be compassionate and you don't want to parent them? What's your suggestion? Again, it comes, it's interesting because this, this is such an interesting take on compassion because compassion is loving kindness for other people. And when I think about compassion, a lot of times the, the work that I do comes in more of a, the form of, you know, someone coming to me saying, my sister's going through this. What do I do to be compassionate towards her? Or, and so it's interesting because I love putting it in the scope of the primary relationships like this 
whether it's with your parents or your spouse or your, your partner, whatever. And so how do we, how do we be compassionate when we're feeling, is it, is the word, is it like put down or victimized or what's like, what's your, it could be, it could be, could be demeaned. It could be degraded. It could be dismissed or discounted. Any of those things that make you feel less than that you feel your partner thinks of you as less than they think of themselves. So interestingly, one of the ways that I tend to encourage people to have compassion and not necessarily in this context, but I think it's really easily um, transferable is to think of this person, this person who's putting them down and think of what, like, is this an act of love or a cry for love? And that's the first good question. So then if they're acting out of love, you know, do they think they're being loving or are they crying for love? So, cause sometimes like our partners, we weren't there when they were growing up. Most likely we don't necessarily know all the ins and outs of how they were loved when they were a child. So a lot of times when somebody's acting towards us in a way that doesn't really make sense to us, like this doesn't feel loving. This feels demeaning. This feels diminishing, whatever it is. Like what must they have experienced as love? So really, instead of being like, what did I do wrong? Which is what we tend to do is like, Oh my God, what did I do? What's wrong with me? Like I'm the worst or like they hate me. I must be terrible. Cause that's just, I don't know why we have these negative critical critters in there. But instead of that, think with curiosity and compassion what must their childhood have looked like? And I wouldn't necessarily ask their partner because that can get defensive immediately, right? But thinking inside our heads, like what could their situation have looked like leading up to this moment? Why do they think that this is appropriate behavior? And is this an act of love or is it a cry for love? And go ahead. You look like you have something. Well, I love that distinction. It's is so clear. Is that in your book? Mm-hmm, it is. Yeah, that's great. Remember, uh, Laura's book is the Compassion Code: How to Say the Right Things When the Wrong Things Happen. And this distinction between an act of love or a cry from love can be really quite enlightening if you stop to think about it, because that's the that's a critical point in your thinking and how you're going to respond to that person, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Because if I think that they're just attacking me and I, again, and one of the things I talk about a lot in my book is reminding yourself most of the time, it's not even about you. (laughs) Right. That's a, you know, a huge shift too, because when we take ourselves out of the equation and thinking, why are you attacking me? What's wrong with me? And we shift to, Hmm, is this an act of love or a cry for love? like, where is this coming from? Then we can look at them and think, man, it must have been, they must have had some kind of way that they were treated or treated with this kind of love relationship that somebody treated them this way. Because typically people don't come up with these things on them on their own. It's like a passing down from generation to generation. And so when we have that experience too, I feel like it breeds compassion because it's not about necessarily feeling with them in the empathetic sense. It's not about feeling sorry for them. It's about having loving kindness for what they may or may not have experienced. 
And then for me, I always encourage people, give that person the benefit of the doubt. Like they are trying to love you and this is how they know how. It doesn't say that that, it doesn't condone the behavior and say that that's okay. And you're in a relationship with this person. And so therefore it must be important for you to learn something from this experience. So then if this is happening over and over, I always encourage people to look at what's the pattern here? What am I supposed to be learning from this experience? Do I always find myself in victim mode? Do I always find myself feeling diminished or put down? Is this something that shows up in multiple areas of my life or is this just in this one area? Um, so it's really, to me, it always comes back to getting really curious and non-judgmental, And that also shifts how we respond in those situations. Great advice. And my guest is Laura Jack. You can find her at laurajack.com. And she's going to be here after the break. So be sure to stay tuned. Hi, this is Dr. Roberta Shaler. Handling hijackles is exhausting. It's never-ending. An endless cycle of crazy-making, alienation, and constant drama. And cycles are difficult to step out of. I know because I've been there too. And that's why I reach out to you to offer the insight, skills, and strategies you need to heal. My small group programs, Handling Hijackles and Hijackle Recovery and Rediscovery, will shortcut your journey to healing to save your sanity, and to stopping the crazy-making. Visit forrelationshiphelp.com slash join now, and let's talk soon. So, wow, really big deal. Again, it's all about working on yourself first, thinking within yourself first, and then you'll be able to respond to other people in a thoughtful, conscious way. And Laura, my guest today, Laura Jack, the author of The Compassion Code, was just suggesting to us that maybe in that loving kindness, you need to be thinking about where's the other person actually coming from? And I don't mean that in a jargony way. I mean, what's happened in their life? What would have caused them to believe that this is a way to demonstrate love? But there are those times, Laura, when we have to say goodbye to people, when the loving kindness is the most loving thing we can do is to let them go. And how do you know when to do that, in your opinion? That's so, so case by case, but I'll just give you kind of whatever, what the first thing that comes up for me. Um, I think that it's when you have done the best that you can to continue caring for you and put up healthy, good boundaries and potentially sought support, ideally from a professional and, and you still feel like this relationship is no longer serving either party. Like if this isn't healthy or helping me learn and grow anymore, because one of the things that you and I both mentioned earlier in the show is the importance of our love relationship being a huge part of our learning and growth in our life. And at some point, it may or may not be able to serve us in that way anymore. And if we don't feel like we're still loving and learning and growing, then it may be time to find to you know find some kind of exit strategy that is still hopefully healthy, you know, hopefully you can, there's a great book. I don't know if you've read it called conscious uncoupling. Mm -hmm. 
um, that's about, you know, how to get leave a relationship in a healthy way. Yes, uh, by the great psychologist Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, <laughs> we have to be careful of that. I mean, that's that's got good information in it, but remember, it's marketing. So, um, one of the things that you said that I just want to talk about a little more is you you said two sentences. You say serving yourself and serving the other. I would I would say. Don't be worried about serving the other, not your circus, not your monkeys. It, you can't decide what serves another human being. You can only decide what your contribution is and whether or not it's an integrity for you. If you're with a difficult person, they're going to feel served when you're continuously demonstrating loving kindness because they're going to enjoy that and want to keep you like a downtrodden doormat. But... Just in your thinking, I think it's really important to talk about that piece, which is I don't get to decide what serves another human being. I get to decide what I serve up. What do you say? I love it. I love the idea of keeping your side of the street clean. I don't know if you've heard that expression, but that constant idea of, okay, like what is my part in this? There's a, I don't remember who said this, but there was a great quote that said, the best way to end an argument is to say, hmm, what's my part in this? You know, and really, like, if we can focus on ourselves, which I know sounds selfish from some perspectives, but I think it's so important in this way of growth, is what is what am I learning, gaining, growing? How am I participating in this? What's my part in this? It can help us decide whether or not this is a healthy relationship anymore and whether or not it's time for us to walk away or find a way to let go. Well, I love your take on that. And I would say that if that self-talk that you're going into is, as you say, what's my part in this? How can I present my values or my vision or my beliefs and my purpose in a demonstrated way every day? That's great. But many times our self-talk is, ain't it awful? He done me wrong. I'm a terrible person. I should be able to do better than this. Why doesn't this person love me? What's wrong with me? If we start going down that trail, then we are not in loving kindness to ourselves, right? Right. Yes. And that's a huge part of my book is about self-compassion and how we can't really be compassionate toward other people until we're compassionate toward ourselves. Well, we just have so much in common, Laura, because I've written extensively about what I call inclusive compassion, which is exactly that. Until you include yourself in the compassion, you are not on the right path because we're taught to not include ourselves. All this be nice, take care of other people, you know, put on this outside face that says, here I am, this agreeable, wonderful, pleasant person. I'm nice, according to the definition. And if that's the way we've been brought up, as somebody trying to teach you to be a good person, and you internalize that long before you really understand language even, then you tend to have that that um, direction of becoming more of a pretzel and a doormat. And you have the opportunity and the right to turn that around right this minute as you're listening to this show that you don't have to stay in that place because that's a disempowering place. You're not here to make other people happy. That's their job. And it's not self-centered to say it's my job to make me happy. It's about my job to be 
happy. It's a decision that I make, not something that I do. And so there's a whole lot I'm sure that you covered in your book. What haven't we covered that's in your book that you really want people to know about? I think that what we just kind of touched on with the idea that if we're not compassionate to ourselves, that's a huge part. I have um, what's called the compassion bell curve that I created, which basically has compassion in the center, empathy on one side, sympathy on the other. And ultimately at the bottom of each curve, is disconnect. So if we're overly empathetic, leading to burnout, it ultimately it disconnects us. And then on the other side with sympathy, where it's like feeling for someone, it can lead to pity and to disconnect. But both sides of the equation, if we feel too much or not enough, both sides lead to disconnect. And so the first step in all of it is compassion for self. And so I think that's, and we, you know, we touched on that, but I think it's such a huge part because it's such a confusing topic. People are very confused between empathy and sympathy. Um, and so I, I definitely go into detail about that in the book about how when we feel too much or not enough, they can both, both of those journeys can lead us to disconnection. And if we just can start with self, which is the only thing we really have control over in our lives, right? Is I go to bed and I wake up with me every day, right? And, and so if we can start by loving ourselves, even just a little, even if it's just liking ourselves, hey, in the mirror, good morning, you, right? Like, then that is a good starting place for having that inclusive compassion like you spoke of. Mm-hmm. Well, I couldn't agree with you more and I can't help but laughing because it sounds like, you know, I, I feel like you are a mini me in some ways, you know, <laughs> all of the things because I, I too have a diagram that's a bell curve that ends up in the same places. So that's kind of amazing. So uh, quite the alignment awesome. that we have in our approaches to to all of this. So I really want to thank you for being with us, Laura, and sharing all these wonderful things. And if you want to learn more about Laura, go to laurajack.com. You can go to laurajack.com slash compassion code and get her book. And you can find ways to work with Laura. So thanks for being with us, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. So, big issues today. Having compassion, being nice. They're all personal calls. You get to decide how compassionate you are, how quote-unquote nice you want to be. And you need the skills, too, to be sure that you're communicating clearly. And you know how to respond effectively to conflict. How many people do I work with? Clients come to see me or they come to a, a program that I offer. And they shrivel at the idea of conflict. In fact, the very idea of the word confrontation sends them scurrying into some dark corner. And you don't want to live like that. All that confrontation means is that I come face to face with another human being and it's come to mean that we have different opinions. But that's where communication comes in, that you learn to communicate with that other person in ways where you equally learn about one another. And when you do that and when you learn more about yourself so that the things that you say are things that are honest for you, they are things that are in alignment with your values. What do you really value in life? Where are the boundaries for you around that? What's your vision for your life? What do you want your life to look like right now and in the future? 
And what are your beliefs? What do you believe about the way the world works or the way money works or the shoulds of life, how relationships should be or how society should be? Or what are your spiritual beliefs? You have to know those. And then you have to know what your current focus is or if you prefer the word goals. What am I paying attention to right now? What am I endeavoring to be the best at right now? And when you're in alignment with your values and your vision and your beliefs and your goals or purposes right now, that's you doing you in the best way possible. And couple that with good communication skills and the ability to continue a conversation even when there's conflict and feel good about it. You can get those skills. But you truly want to be able to step up and speak up confidently and you may not be so confident at first but you can learn you can grow into that so naughty is not the opposite of nice so erase that thought the opposite of nice is assertive it's you being able to say this is what's so for me i'm not telling you it should be so for you i'm telling you it's so for me and therefore, I'm opening the conversation and sharing myself with you. I'm letting you in to what's so about me. So just don't make this all contingent on the other person. Do your own work. Own it. I feel this. I think this. I want this. I need this. Go and read about the personal weather report. Two chapters in Kaizen for Couples. That's the red book right there. Kaizen for Couples. K-A-I-Z-E-N. And it's available in print and in digital at Amazon. And then really focus on how do I give an accurate personal weather report. Not one that's just on the surface and saying the right thing, but one that is accurate, that you've done a deep dive and you know what is so for you and where you want to go. And so these things are really important. We've been talking about being nice and being compassionate today and what that really means. If you enjoyed the show, I hope you'll tell your friends, send them to the archives, BBS Radio dot com slash relationship help show go and listen to the show again if you missed anything and remember you can always call in next week at 888-627-6008 and if you want to be more in touch with me and receive things from me regularly you can get my newsletter tips for relationships you'll find it at for relationship dot com slash subscribe if you'd like to read my blog, again, it's forrelationshiphelp.com slash blog. You want to see video instead, go to youtube.com slash, you guessed it, forrelationshiphelp. And if you want to join me on my Facebook page, come and like the Facebook page and learn more about my Facebook groups, facebook.com slash relationshiphelpdoctor. Let's talk soon. I'm here every Wednesday at 11 o'clock Pacific, and I look forward to having you right here with me. Talk soon. There you have it. If you want more, you can work with Dr. Shayla directly. She's eager to help you resolve your relationship issues. Have a question? Call in early to next week's show to talk with Dr. Shayla on air. Get her expert insights and advice by subscribing to her blog, newsletter, and YouTube channel. We're here for you. Don't be a stranger. Join us again next week. And in the meantime, visit forrelationshiphelp.com.